Section two of When God Laughs by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Section two The Apostate. Now I wake me up to work. I pray the Lord I may not shirk. If I should die before the night, I pray the Lord my work's all right. Amen. If you don't get up, Johnny, I won't give you a bite to eat. The threat had no effect on the boy. He clung stubbornly to sleep, fighting for its oblivion as the dreamer fights for his dream. The boy's hands loosely clenched themselves, and he made feeble, spasmodic blows at the air. These blows were intended for his mother, but she betrayed practiced familiarity in avoiding them as she shook him roughly by the shoulder. Let me alone! It was a cry that began, muffled in the deeps of sleep, that swiftly rushed upward like a wail into passionate belligerence, and that died away and sank down into an inarticulate whine. It was a bestial cry, as of a soul in torment, filled with infinite protest and pain. But she did not mind. She was a sad-eyed, tired-faced woman, and she had grown used to this task, which she repeated every day of her life she got a grip on the bedclothes and tried to strip them down but the boy ceasing his punching clung to them desperately in a huddle at the foot of the bed he still remained covered then she tried dragging the bedding to the floor the boy opposed her she braced herself hers was the superior weight and the boy and bedding gave the former instinctively following the latter in order to shelter against the chill of the room that bit into his body as he toppled on the edge of the bed it seemed that he must fall head first to the floor but consciousness fluttered up in him he righted himself and for a moment perilously balanced then he struck the floor on his feet on the instant his mother seized him by the shoulders and shook him again his fists struck out but this time with more force and directness at the same time his eyes opened she released him he was awake all right he mumbled she caught up the lamp and hurried out leaving him in darkness you'll be docked she warned back to him he did not mind the darkness when he had got into his clothes he went out into the kitchen his tread was very heavy for so thin and light a boy his legs dragged with their own weight which seemed unreasonable because they were such skinny legs he drew a broken-bottomed chair to the table johnny his mother called sharply he arose as sharply from the chair, and, without a word, went to the sink. It was a greasy, filthy sink. A smell came up from the outlet. He took no notice of it. That a sink should smell was to him part of the natural order, just as it was a part of the natural order that the soap should be grimy with dishwater and hard to lather. Nor did he try very hard to make it lather. Several splashes of the cold water from the running faucet completed the function. He did not wash his teeth. For that matter, he had never seen a toothbrush, nor did he know that there existed beings in the world who were guilty of so great a foolishness as tooth-washing. "'You might wash yourself once today without being told,' his mother complained. She was holding a broken lid on the pot as she poured two cups of coffee. He made no remark, for this was a standing quarrel between them, and the one thing upon which his mother was hard as adamant once the day it was compulsory that he should wash his face he dried himself on a greasy towel damp and dirty and ragged that left his face covered with shreds of lint 
i wish we didn't live so far away she said as he sat down i try to do the best i can you know that but a dollar on the rent is such a saving and we've more room here you know that he scarcely followed her he had heard it all before many times the range of her thought was limited and she was ever harking back to the hardship worked upon them by living so far from the mills a dollar means more grub he remarked sententiously i'd sooner do the walkin and get the grub he ate hurriedly half chewing the bread and washing the unmasticated chunks down with coffee the hot and muddy liquid went by the name of coffee johnny thought it was coffee and excellent coffee that was one of the few of life's illusions that remained to him he had never drunk real coffee in his life in addition to the bread there was a small piece of cold pork his mother refilled his cup with coffee as he was finishing the bread he began to watch if more was forthcoming she intercepted his questioning glance now don't be hoggish johnny was her remark you've had your share your brothers and sisters are smaller than you he did not answer the rebuke he was not much of a talker also he ceased his hungry glancing for more he was uncomplaining with a patience that was as terrible as the school in which it had been learned he finished his coffee wiped his mouth on the back of his hand and started to rise wait a second she said hastily i guess the loaf can stand you another slice a thin un there was a legerdemain in her actions with all the seeming of cutting a slice from the loaf for him she put loaf and slice back in the bread-box and conveyed to him one of her own two slices she believed she had deceived him but he had noted her sleight of hand nevertheless he took the bread shamelessly he had a philosophy that his mother because of her chronic sickliness was not much of an eater anyway she saw that he was chewing the bread dry and reached over and emptied her coffee cup into his don't set good somehow on my stomach this morning she explained a distant whistle prolonged and shrieking brought both of them to their feet she glanced at the tin alarm clock on the shelf the hands stood at half past five the rest of the factory world was just arousing from sleep she drew a shawl about her shoulders and on her head put a dingy hat shapeless and ancient we've got to run she said turning the wick of the lamp and blowing down the chimney they groped their way out and down the stairs it was clear and cold and johnny shivered at the first contact with the outside air the stars had not yet begun to pale in the sky and the city lay in blackness both johnny and his mother shuffled their feet as they walked there was no ambition in the leg muscles to swing the feet clear of the ground after fifteen silent minutes his mother turned off to the right don't be late was her final warning from out of the dark that was swallowing her up he made no response steadily keeping on his way in the factory quarter doors were opening everywhere and he was soon one of a multitude that pressed onward through the dark as he entered the factory gate the whistle blew again he glanced at the east across a ragged skyline of housetops a pale light was beginning to creep this much he saw of the day as he turned his back upon it and joined his work gang he took his place in one of many long rows of machines before him above a bin filled with small bobbins were large bobbins revolving rapidly upon these he wound the jute twine of the small bobbins the work was simple all that was required was celerity 
the small bobbins were emptied so rapidly and there were so many large bobbins that did the emptying that there were no idle moments he worked mechanically when a small bobbin ran out he used his left hand for a break stopping the large bobbin and at the same time with thumb and forefinger catching the flying end of the twine also at the same time with his right hand he caught up the loose twine end of a small bobbin these various acts with both hands were performed simultaneously and swiftly then there would come a flash of his hands as he looped the weaver's knot and released the bobbin there was nothing difficult about the weaver's knots he once boasted he could tie them in his sleep and for that matter he sometimes did toiling centuries long in a single night at tying an endless succession of weaver's knots some of the boys shirked wasting time and machinery by not replacing the small bobbins when they ran out and there was an overseer to prevent this he caught johnny's neighbor at the trick and boxed his ears look at johnny there why ain't you like him the overseer wrathfully demanded johnny's bobbins were running full blast but he did not thrill at the indirect praise there had been a time that was long ago very long ago his apathetic face was expressionless as he listened to himself being held up as a shining example he was the perfect worker he knew that he had been told so often it was a commonplace and besides it didn't seem to mean anything to him any more from the perfect worker he had evolved into the perfect machine when his work went wrong it was with him as with the machine due to faulty material it would have been as possible for a perfect nail die to cut imperfect nails as for him to make a mistake and small wonder there had never been a time when he had not been in intimate relationship with machines machinery had almost been bred into him and at any rate he had been brought up on it twelve years before there had been a small flutter of excitement in the loom room of this very mill johnny's mother had fainted they stretched her out on the floor in the midst of the shrieking machines a couple of elderly women were called from their looms the foreman assisted and in a few minutes there was one more soul in the loom room than had entered by the doors it was johnny born with the pounding crashing roar of the looms in his ears drawing with his first breath the warm moist air that was thick with flying lint he had coughed that first day in order to rid his lungs of the lint and for the same reason he had coughed ever since the boy alongside of johnny whimpered and sniffed the boy's face was convulsed with hatred for the overseer who kept a threatening eye on him from a distance but every bobbin was running full the boy yelled terrible oaths into the whirling bobbins before him but the sound did not carry half a dozen feet the roaring of the room holding it in and containing it like a wall of all this johnny took no notice he had a way of accepting things besides things grow monotonous by repetition and this particular happening he had witnessed many times it seemed to him as useless to oppose the overseer as to defy the will of a machine machines were made to go in certain ways and to perform certain tasks it was the same with the overseer but at eleven o'clock there was excitement in the room in an apparently occult way the excitement instantly permeated everywhere the one-legged boy who worked on the other side of johnny bobbed swiftly across the floor to a bin truck that stood empty into this he dived out of sight crutch and all the superintendent of the mill was coming along accompanied by a young man he was well dressed and wore a starched shirt a gentleman in johnny's classification of men and also the inspector 
he looked sharply at the boys as he passed along sometimes he stopped and asked questions when he did so he was compelled to shout at the top of his lungs at which moments his face was ludicrously contorted with the strain of making himself heard his quick eye noted the empty machine alongside of johnny's but he said nothing johnny also caught his eye and he stopped abruptly he caught johnny by the arm to draw him back a step from the machine but with an exclamation of surprise he released the arm pretty skinny the superintendent laughed anxiously pipe stems was the answer look at those legs the boy's got the rickets incipient but he's got them if epilepsy doesn't get him in the end it will be because tuberculosis gets him first johnny listened but did not understand furthermore he was not interested in future ills there was an immediate and more serious ill that threatened him in the form of the inspector now my boy i want you to tell me the truth the inspector said or shouted bending close to the boy's ear to make him hear how old are you fourteen johnny lied and he lied with the full force of his lungs so loudly did he lie that it started him off in a dry hacking cough that lifted the lint which had been settling in his lungs all morning look sixteen at least said the superintendent or sixty snapped the inspector he's always looked that way how long asked the inspector quickly four years never gets a bit older or younger i dare say i suppose he's worked here all those years off and on but that was before the new law was passed the superintendent hastened to add machine idle the inspector asked pointing at the unoccupied machine beside johnny's in which the park-filled bobbins were flying like mad looks that way the superintendent motioned the overseer to him and shouted in his ear and pointed at the machine machine's idle he reported back to the inspector they passed on and johnny returned to his work relieved in that the ill had been averted but the one-legged boy was not so fortunate the sharp-eyed inspector hailed him out at arm's length from the bin truck his lips were quivering and his face had all the expression of one upon whom was fallen profound and irremediable disaster the overseer looked astounded as though for the first time he had laid eyes on the boy while the superintendent's face expressed shock and displeasure i know him the inspector said he's twelve years old i've had him discharged from three factories inside the year this makes the fourth he turned to the one-legged boy you promised me word and honour that you'd go to school the one-legged boy burst into tears please mr inspector two babies died on us and we're awful poor what makes you cough that way the inspector demanded as though charging him with a crime and as in denial of guilt the one-legged boy replied it ain't nothing i just caught a cold last week mr inspector that's all in the end the one-legged boy went out of the room with the inspector the latter accompanied by the anxious and protesting superintendent after that the monotony settled down again the long morning and the longer afternoon wore away and the whistle blew for quitting time darkness had already fallen when johnny passed out through the factory gate in the interval the sun had made a golden ladder of the sky flooded the world with its gracious warmth and dropped down and disappeared in the west behind a ragged skyline of housetops supper was the family meal of the day the one meal at which johnny encountered his younger brothers and sisters it partook of the nature of an encounter to him for he was very old while they were distressingly young he had no patience with their excessive and amazing juvenility 
he did not understand it his own childhood was too far behind him he was like an old and irritable man annoyed by the turbulence of their young spirits that was to him errant silliness he glowered silently over his food finding compensation in the thought that they would soon have to go to work that would take the edge off of them and make them sedate and dignified like him thus it was after the fashion of the human that johnny made of himself a yardstick with which to measure the universe during the meal his mother explained in various ways and with infinite repetition that she was trying to do the best she could so that it was with relief the scant meal ended that johnny shoved back his chair and arose he debated for a moment between bed and the front door and finally went out the ladder he did not go far he sat down on the stoop his knees drawn up and his narrow shoulders drooping forward his elbows on his knees and the palms of his hands supporting his chin as he sat there he did no thinking he was just resting so far as his mind was concerned it was asleep his brothers and sisters came out and with other children played noisily about him an electric globe at the corner lighted their frolics he was peevish and irritable that they knew but the spirit of adventure lured them into teasing him they joined hands before him and keeping time with their bodies chanted in his face weird and uncomplimentary doggerel at first he snarled curses at them curses he had learned from the lips of various foremen finding this futile and remembering his dignity he relapsed into dogged silence his brother will next to him in age having just passed his tenth birthday was the ringleader johnny did not possess particularly kindly feelings toward him his life had early been embittered by continual giving over and giving way to will he had a definite feeling that will was greatly in his debt and was ungrateful about it in his own playtime far back in the dim past he had been robbed of a large part of that playtime by being compelled to take care of will will was a baby then and then as now their mother had spent her days in the mills to johnny had fallen the part of little father and little mother as well will seemed to show the benefit of the giving over and the giving way he was well built fairly rugged as tall as his elder brother and even heavier it was as though the life-blood of the one had been diverted into the other's veins and in spirits it was the same johnny was jaded worn out without resilience while his younger brother seemed bursting and spilling over with exuberance the mocking chant rose louder and louder will leaned closer as he danced thrusting out his tongue johnny's left arm shot out and caught the other round the neck at the same time he wrapped his bony fist to the other's nose it was a pathetically bony fist but that it was sharp to hurt was evidenced by the squeal of pain it produced the other children were uttering frightened cries while johnny's sister jenny had dashed into the house he thrust will from him kicked him savagely in the shins then reached for him and slammed him face downward in the dirt nor did he release him till the face had been rubbed into the dirt several times then the mother arrived an anemic whirlwind of solicitude and maternal wrath why can't he leave me alone was johnny's reply to her upbraiding can't he see i'm tired i'm as big as you will raged in her arms his face a mass of tears dirt and blood i'm as big as you now and i'm going to get bigger then i'll lick you see if i don't you ought to be to work seeing how big you are johnny snarled that's what's the matter with you you ought to be to work and it's up to your ma to put you to work but he's too young she protested he's only a little boy i was younger than him when i started to work 
johnny's mouth was open further to express the sense of unfairness that he felt but the mouth closed with a snap he turned gloomily on his heel and stalked into the house into bed the door of his room was open to let in warmth from the kitchen as he undressed in the semi-darkness he could hear his mother talking with a neighbor woman who had dropped in his mother was crying and her speech was punctuated with spiritless sniffles i can't make out what's getting into johnny he could hear her say he didn't used to be this way he was a patient little angel and he's a good boy she hastened to defend he's worked faithful and he did go to work too young but it wasn't my fault i do the best i can i'm sure prolonged sniffling from the kitchen and johnny murmured to himself as his eyelids closed down you bet your life i've worked faithful the next morning he was torn bodily by his mother from the grip of sleep then came the meagre breakfast the tramp through the dark and the pale glimpse of day across the housetops as he turned his back on it and went in through the factory gate it was another day of all the days and all the days were alike and yet there had been variety in his life at the times he changed from one job to another or was taken sick when he was six he was little mother and father to will and the other children still younger at seven he went into the mills winding bobbins when he was eight he got work in another mill his new job was marvellously easy all he had to do was to sit down with a little stick in his hand and guide a stream of cloth that flowed past him this stream of cloth came out of the maw of a machine passed over a hot roller and went on its way elsewhere but he sat always in one place beyond the reach of daylight a gas jet flaring over him himself part of the mechanism he was very happy at that job in spite of the moist heat for he was still young and in possession of dreams and illusions and wonderful dreams he dreamed as he watched the steaming cloth streaming endlessly by but there was no exercise about the work no call upon his mind and he dreamed less and less while his mind grew torpid and drowsy nevertheless he earned two dollars a week and two dollars represented the difference between acute starvation and chronic underfeeding but when he was nine he lost his job measles was the cause of it after he recovered he got work in a glass factory the pay was better and the work demanded skill it was piecework and the more skillful he was the bigger wages he earned here was incentive and under this incentive he developed into a remarkable worker it was simple work the tying of glass stoppers into small bottles at his waist he carried a bundle of twine he held the bottles between his knees so that he might work with both hands thus in a sitting position and bending over his own knees his narrow shoulders grew humped and his chest was contracted for ten hours each day this was not good for the lungs but he tied three hundred dozen bottles a day the superintendent was very proud of him and brought visitors to look at him in ten hours three hundred dozen bottles passed through his hands this meant that he had attained machine-like perfection all waist movements were eliminated every motion of his thin arms every movement of a muscle in the thin fingers was swift and accurate he worked at high tension and the result was that he grew nervous at night his muscles twitched in his sleep and in the daytime he could not relax and rest he remained keyed up and his muscles continued to twitch also he grew sallow and his lint cough grew worse then pneumonia laid hold of the feeble lungs within the contracted chest and he lost his job in the glassworks now he had returned to the jute mills where he had first begun with winding bobbins 
but promotion was waiting for him he was a good worker he would next go on the starcher and later he would go into the loom room there was nothing after that except increased efficiency the machinery ran faster than when he had first gone to work and his mind ran slower he no longer dreamed at all though his early years had been full of dreaming once he had been in love it was when he first began guiding the cloth over the hot roller and it was with the daughter of the superintendent she was much older than he a young woman and he had seen her at a distance only a paltry half-dozen times but that made no difference on the surface of the cloth stream that poured past him he pictured radiant futures wherein he performed prodigies of toil invented miraculous machines won to the mastership of the mills and in the end took her in his arms and kissed her soberly on the brow but that was all in the long ago before he had grown too old and tired to love also she had married and gone away and his mind had gone to sleep yet it had been a wonderful experience and he used often to look back upon it as other men and women look back upon the time they believed in fairies he had never believed in fairies nor santa claus but he had believed implicitly in the smiling future his imagination had wrought into the steaming cloth stream he had become a man very early in life at seven when he drew his first wages began his adolescence a certain feeling of independence crept up in him and the relationship between him and his mother changed somehow as an earner and breadwinner doing his own work in the world he was more like an equal with her manhood full-blown manhood had come when he was eleven at which time he had gone to work on the night shift for six months no child works on the night shift and remains a child there had been several great events in his life one of these had been when his mother bought some california prunes two others had been the two times when she cooked custard these had been events he remembered them kindly and at the time his mother had told him of a blissful dish she would sometime make floating island she had called it better than custard for years he had looked forward to the day when he would sit down to the table with floating island before him until at last he had relegated the idea of it to the limbo of unattainable ideals once he found a silver quarter lying on the sidewalk that also was a great event in his life withal a tragic one he knew his duty on the instant the silver flashed on his eyes before even he had picked it up at home as usual there was not enough to eat and home he should have taken it as he did his wages every saturday night right conduct in this case was obvious but he never had any spending of his money and he was suffering from candy hunger he was ravenous for the sweets that only on red-letter days he had ever tasted in his life he did not attempt to deceive himself he knew it was sin and deliberately he sinned when he went on a fifteen-cent candy debauch ten cents he saved for a future orgy but not being accustomed to the carrying of money he lost the ten cents this occurred at the time when he was suffering all the torments of conscience and it was to him an act of divine retribution he had a frightened sense of the closeness of an awful and wrathful god god had seen and god had been swift to punish denying him even the full wages of sin in memory he always looked back upon that as the one great criminal deed of his life and at the recollection his conscience always awoke and gave him another twinge it was the one skeleton in his closet 
also being so made and circumstanced he looked back upon the deed with regret he was dissatisfied with the manner in which he had spent the quarter he could have invested it better and out of his later knowledge of the quickness of god he would have beaten god out by spending the whole quarter at one fell swoop in retrospect he spent the quarter a thousand times and each time to better advantage there was one other memory of the past dim and faded but stamped into his soul everlasting by the savage feet of his father it was more like a nightmare than a remembered vision of a concrete thing more like the race memory of man that makes him fall in his sleep and that goes back to his arboreal ancestry this particular memory never came to johnny in broad daylight when he was wide awake it came at night in bed at the moment that his consciousness was sinking down and losing itself in sleep it always aroused him to frightened wakefulness and for the moment in the first sickening start it seemed to him that he lay crosswise on the foot of the bed in the bed were the vague forms of his father and mother he never saw what his father looked like he had but one impression of his father and that was that he had savage and pitiless feet his earlier memories lingered with him but he had no late memories all days were alike yesterday or last year were the same as a thousand years or a minute nothing ever happened there were no events to mark the march of time time did not march it stood always still it was only the whirling machines that moved and they moved nowhere in spite of the fact that they moved faster when he was fourteen he went to work on the starcher it was a colossal event something had at last happened that could be remembered beyond a night's sleep or a week's payday it marked an era it was a machine olympiad a thing to date from when i went to work on the starcher or after or before i went to work on the starcher were sentences often on his lips he celebrated his sixteenth birthday by going into the loom room and taking a loom here was an incentive again for it was piecework and he excelled because the clay of him had been moulded by the mills into the perfect machine at the end of three months he was running two looms and later three and four at the end of his second year at the looms he was turning out more yards than any other weaver and more than twice as much as some of the less skilful ones and at home things began to prosper as he approached the full stature of his earning power not however that his increased earnings were in excess of need the children were growing up they ate more and they were going to school and school books cost money and somehow the faster he worked the faster climbed the prices of things even the rent went up though the house had fallen from bad to worse disrepair he had grown taller but with his increased height he seemed leaner than ever also he was more nervous with the nervousness increased his peevishness and irritability the children had learned by many bitter lessons to fight shy of him his mother respected him for his earning power but somehow her respect was tinctured with fear there was no joyousness in life for him the procession of the days he never saw the nights he slept away in twitching unconsciousness the rest of the time he worked and his consciousness was machine consciousness outside this his mind was a blank he had no ideals but one illusion namely that he drank excellent coffee he was a work-beast he had no mental life whatever yet deep down in the crypts of his mind unknown to him were being weighed and sifted every hour of his toil every movement of his hands every twitch of his muscles 
and preparations were making for a future course of action that would amaze him and all his little world it was in the late spring that he came home from work one night aware of unusual tiredness there was a keen expectancy in the air as he sat down to the table but he did not notice he went through the meal in moody silence mechanically eating what was before him the children ummed and awed and made smacking noises with their mouths but he was deaf to them do you know what you're eating his mother demanded at last desperately he looked vacantly at the dish before him and vacantly at her floatin island she announced triumphantly oh he said floating island the children chorused loudly oh he said and after two or three mouthfuls he added i guess i ain't hungry to-night he dropped the spoon shoved back his chair and arose wearily from the table and i guess i'll go to bed his feet dragged more heavily than usual as he crossed the kitchen floor undressing was a titan's task a monstrous futility and he wept weakly as he crawled into bed one shoe still on he was aware of a rising swelling something inside his head that made his brain thick and fuzzy his lean fingers felt as big as his wrist while in the ends of them was a remoteness of sensation vague and fuzzy like his brain the small of his back ached intolerably all his bones ached he ached everywhere and in his head began the shrieking pounding crashing roaring of a million looms all space was filled with flying shuttles they darted in and out intricately amongst the stars he worked a thousand looms himself and ever they speeded up faster and faster and his brain unwound faster and faster and became the thread that fed the thousand flying shuttles he did not go to work next morning he was too busy weaving colossally on the thousand looms that ran inside his head his mother went to work but first she sent for the doctor it was a severe attack of la grippe he said jenny served as nurse and carried out his instructions it was a very severe attack and it was a week before johnny dressed and tottered feebly across the floor another week the doctor said and he would be fit to return to work the foreman of the loom room visited him on sunday afternoon the first day of his convalescence the best weaver in the room the foreman told his mother his job would be held for him he could come back to work a week from monday why don't you thank him johnny his mother asked anxiously he's been that sick he ain't himself yet she explained apologetically to the visitor johnny sat hunched up and gazing steadfastly at the floor he sat in the same position long after the foreman had gone it was warm outdoors and he sat on the stoop in the afternoon sometimes his lips moved he seemed lost in endless calculations next morning after the day grew warm he took his seat on the stoop he had pencil and paper this time with which to continue his calculations and he calculated painfully and amazingly what comes after millions he asked at noon when will came home from school and how do you work em that afternoon finished his task each day but with paper and pencil he returned to the stoop he was gratefully absorbed in the one tree that grew across the street he studied it for hours at a time and was unusually interested when the wind swayed its branches and fluttered its leaves throughout the week he seemed lost in a great communion with himself on sunday sitting on the stoop he laughed aloud several times to the perturbation of his mother who had not heard him laugh for years 
next morning in the early darkness she came to his bed to rouse him he had had his fill of sleep all the week and woke easily he made no struggle nor did he attempt to hold on to the bedding when she stripped it from him he lay quietly and spoke quietly it ain't no use ma you'll be late she said under the impression that he was still stupid with sleep i'm awake ma and i tell you it ain't no use you might as well let me alone i ain't going to get up but you'll lose your job she cried i ain't going to get up he repeated in a strange passionless voice she did not go to work herself that morning this was sickness beyond any sickness she had ever known fever and delirium she could understand but this was insanity she pulled the bedding up over him and sent jenny for the doctor when that person arrived johnny was sleeping gently and gently he awoke and allowed his pulse to be taken nothing the matter with him the doctor reported badly debilitated that's all not much meat on his bones he's always been that way his mother volunteered now go away ma and let me finish my snooze johnny spoke sweetly and placidly and sweetly and placidly he rolled over on his side and went to sleep at ten o'clock he awoke and dressed himself he walked out into the kitchen where he found his mother with a frightened expression on her face i'm going away ma he announced and i just want to say good-bye she threw her apron over her head and sat down suddenly and wept he waited patiently i might have known it she was sobbing where she finally asked removing the apron from her head and gazing up at him with a stricken face in which there was little curiosity i don't know anywhere as he spoke the tree across the street appeared with dazzling brightness on his inner vision it seemed to lurk just under his eyelids and he could see it whenever he wished and your job she quavered i ain't never going to work again my god johnny she wailed don't say that what he had said was blasphemy to her as a mother who hears her child deny god was johnny's mother shocked by his words what's got into you anyway she demanded with a lame attempt at imperativeness figures he answered just figures i've been doing a lot of figuring this week and it's most surprising i don't see what that's got to do with it she sniffled johnny smiled patiently and his mother was aware of a distinct shock at the persistent absence of his peevishness and irritability i'll show you he said i'm plumb tired out what makes me tired moves i've been movin ever since i was born i'm tired of movin and i ain't goin to move any more remember when i worked in the glass house i used to do three hundred dozen a day now i reckon i made about ten different moves to each bottle that's thirty-six thousand moves a day ten days three hundred and sixty thousand moves one month one million and eighty thousand moves chuck out the eighty thousand he spoke with the complacent beneficence of a philanthropist chuck out the eighty thousand that leaves a million moves a month twelve million moves a year at the looms i'm movin twixt as much that makes twenty-five million moves a year and it seems to me i've been movin that way most a million years now this week i ain't moved at all i ain't made one move in hours and hours 
i tell you it was swell just settin there hours and hours and doin nothin i ain't never been happy before i never had any time i've been movin all the time that ain't no way to be happy and i ain't goin to do it any more i'm just goin to set and set and rest and rest and then rest some more but what's going to come of will and the children she asked despairingly that's it will and the children he repeated but there was no bitterness in his voice he had long known his mother's ambition for the younger boy but the thought of it no longer rankled nothing mattered any more not even that i know ma what you've been planning for will keepin him in school to make a bookkeeper out of him but it ain't no use i've quit he's got to go to work and after i have brung you up the way i have she wept starting to cover her head with the apron and changing her mind you never brung me up he answered with sad kindliness i brung myself up ma and i brung up will he's bigger'n me and heavier and taller when i was a kid i reckon i didn't get enough to eat when he came along and was a kid i was workin and earnin grub for him too but that's done with will can go to work same as me or he can go to hell i don't care which i'm tired i'm goin now ain't you goin to say good-bye she made no reply the apron had gone over her head again and she was crying he paused a moment in the doorway i'm sure i done the best i knew how she was sobbing he passed out of the house and down the street a wan delight came into his face at the sight of the lone tree yes ain't goin to do nothin he said to himself half aloud in a crooning tone he glanced wistfully up at the sky but the bright sun dazzled and blinded him it was a long walk he took and he did not walk fast it took him past the jute mill the muffled roar of the loom room came to his ears and he smiled it was a gentle placid smile he hated no one not even the pounding shrieking machines there was no bitterness in him nothing but an inordinate hunger for rest the houses and factories thinned out and the open spaces increased as he approached the country at last the city was behind him and he was walking down a leafy lane beside the railroad track he did not walk like a man he did not look like a man he was a travesty of the human it was a twisted and stunted and nameless piece of life that shambled like a sickly ape arms loose hanging stoop-shouldered narrow-chested grotesque and terrible he passed by a small railroad station and lay down in the grass under a tree all afternoon he lay there sometimes he dozed with muscles that twitched in his sleep when awake he lay without movement watching the birds or looking up at the sky through the branches of the tree above him once or twice he laughed aloud but without relevance to anything he had seen or felt after twilight had gone in the first darkness of the night a freight train rumbled into the station when the engine was switching cars onto the side track johnny crept along the side of the train he pulled open the side door of an empty box-car and awkwardly and laboriously climbed in he closed the door the engine whistled johnny was lying down and in the darkness he smiled End of section two read by Don W. Jenkins, Rancho San Diego, California, shaggybark.blogspot.com.